And once you have it, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6. Typically, if you're visiting here, um, we go verse by verse through the word of God. Uh, we believe it's it's all necessary. The word, I mean, it actually tells us it's all necessary so that we're equipped to do every uh, godly work. Every every Everything God has in, in store for us is found in his word. And we need to know it all to be able to do it all and experience all the good things he has for us. But um, and to, right Right now, we're going through the book of Acts verse by verse. But this month is kind of a month that we set aside uh, as a church family to focus on prayer. Uh, prayer being the the method God's given us to communicate with him, to talk with him. The God of the universe that's ruling everything at this very moment wants to take the time to be involved in your life. And prayer is the way we do that. And it's for our benefit, not his. He already knows what we're thinking, what we need. But it's for our benefit to be able to reach out to God and to talk to him and to see him answer our prayers and, and, and keep all the promises that he makes us in his word. So we want to always be growing in our involvement of God in our lives, in our prayer lives. And so this is a month that we focus on that. We culminate the month or at the end of the month last week, as Eric was talking about, we set aside a week where we just pray and fast as a church we kind of go into it and we encourage you guys to just pray ahead of time on things that you want to seek God in specifically and ways that he would have you fast. Fasting in the Bible is, is doing without food or, or water for a set period of time. But there's other things that we see people fast from. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's TV. It, things that take up your time so that you can replace that with praying and it being good for us to train our flesh to say no to it. Um, because, as Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's there's more important things in life than just what our flesh wants to do. And our flesh is so leads us susceptible to going after things that really we don't need when what we need is God himself. So it's good to say no to our flesh for a week, say yes to God, and, and, and just really press in. We use that term, or, or draw near to him through seeking him. And it's such a blessing. I mean, some people like cringe at that. They've never done it like oh, fasting for a whole week. But I'm telling you, we've seen miracles. We've seen prayers answered. We've just seen people draw really close to God where like their relationship has changed forever coming out of that week. And so really encourage you guys to partake in that. And the theme that the Lord kind of put on my heart um, for this year to kind of focus on as we pray into that week is just this battle that it feels like we're in so often in life how many of you guys can relate to that doesn't life feel like a struggle so often doesn't it feel like it doesn't feel easy all right there's periods where it might feel easy but they never last it's just constantly this 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 never-ending struggle and the reality is that is because you are in fact in a battle that's what god's word tells us but here's the thing. It isn't against who we often think it is. All right. We think it's against people or things not working out the way we want or the government or, you know, whatever it might be. We, we've, we look at these things as our enemies, but really our enemies unseen. That's what the Bible tells us. The battle we're in, it's, it's spiritual against Satan and his demonic army who, according to John 10.10, have three goals in mind and that is to kill you to steal from you and destroy you as jesus warns us in john 10 and because the battle we're in is spiritual and it's not physical it demands that we use spiritual weapons to defend ourselves which god makes available to us through our faith in jesus the second corinthians 10 4 tells us about and just as you would never go into war without the proper equipment to defend yourself to protect yourself and then also properly knowing how to use that equipment those weapons or the, that armor if you will we need to know first the spiritual equipment god's given us and then how to properly use that to defend ourselves in this spiritual battle that the bible tells us we're in 24 hours a day and this is what we're going to focus on today as prayer is the main way that we look to God for help in that battle that we're in at all times of the day. Amen? 
As I said before, we're going to be in Ephesians 6 today. And just to give you some background of this chapter, um, as you guys have been going through Acts with us, Acts 18 and 19, we see Paul during his visits, or his he takes actually a couple visits to Ephesus. And basically a church is planted through him preaching the gospel there. He actually lives there for two years teaching at what's become known as the School of Tyrannus. It was a lecture hall that he used, and he was teaching God's word to people there. And Ephesus, if you guys have followed through Acts with us, was also a place where there was a lot of visible spiritual warfare. Basically, it says there were a lot of people that were oppressed or possessed by demons or evil spirits. And uh, the, the Christians were um, basically in the name of Jesus rebuking those spirits and freeing them from them. And there's even this crazy account of these so-called Jewish exorcists who try to cast a demon out of somebody and they're unsuccessful and they end up getting beaten up and left naked. And it scares the heck out of the town. I mean, they see this visible manifestation of the spiritual warfare and it scares them into repentance. They basically, a bunch. it says a bunch of them um, uh, were guilty of kind of like uh, sorcery or messing around with these evil spirits and they repent of that and they take their spell books and they burn them and they turn to Jesus as a result of that. There's a big revival, all right? So it's fitting that Paul addresses spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle we're in, in this letter, in this what we call the book of Ephesians, but basically it's a follow-up letter Paul writes to the believers in this town, okay? So let me read through this section we're going to be in, and then I'll pray and we'll start going through it verse by verse. So this is Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we just ask for you to speak to us regarding this passage. It really is critical to us uh, being able to live the life you intend for us effectively, seeing as how we're in this very real battle that's going on all around us. A battle that, as we're going to talk about today, you've already won, but that we're still required to put on the armor you've given us to defend ourselves against the enemy's schemes to trick us in believing somehow that we have lost and to fall back into things that you've saved us from when he has no authority over us anymore, unless we give it to him. And Lord, we can all struggle with this. And this is something the enemy's constantly going to come at us and do until you come back or we go to be with you. So it's something we need to be always on guard against. And some of us even today in this place might be feeling like we're battling or struggling. And this might be the word we need to hear to remind ourselves to stand firm in you. So Lord, speak to us. May we listen with ears that are open and hearts that are soft so the seeds of your word can fall and grow in our lives that produce fruit. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so verse 10 starts out by saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, in the face of adversity in this life, 
or the hard, the hard things, the battles we go through, a lot of the times we feel weak or we feel helpless, okay? Would you guys agree with that? You feel like there's nothing you can do, like there's no way you can fix this situation or you just can't go on in, in whatever this difficulty is that you're dealing with. And here's the thing, before Jesus came into your life, before you got saved, that was a reality. You were weak. You were helpless against the hard things that we face in life. But now in the Lord, as verse 10 says, or through your faith in Jesus, that's no longer the case. I want you to note that that word might in verse 10, that means the appearance of strength. Okay, if you were to look at somebody that was just built and stacked and yoked, you would say that person looks mighty. Okay, now that word strength in verse 10, that means the exercising of power. Okay, it's a little different. Mighty is the giving off the appearance of power. But if that person that looks super strong deadlifted like 800 pounds, then you would say, oh, yeah, they've got strength. All right. They've exercised that power. So if we know who God is from his word, we obviously know that he's mighty or gives off the appearance of strength in a way like none other, right? The, the word that we often use to describe God is omnipotent. Anyone knows what that means? All power, like powerful in a way that it's unlimited, all right? He can do anything. There's not anything, there's no limitations to God's strength or power, okay? And when what verse 10 is telling us is that through our faith in Jesus, we are able to tap into that might or exercise God's strength in our lives, which now allows us to be strong in the battles that we face in life, all right? And this ultimately is because you're no longer fighting on your own behalf, but you've got God on your side fighting them for you. This is what it tells us in Romans 8, 31 through 37. Paul says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, okay, that means God's unlimited power. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Now, the gospel is what our relationship with God, our victory is rooted. And we're going to talk about that more, but that's what Paul's getting at here. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? These are all the battles we face, right? What he's pointing out is because these hard things are happening in your life, does that mean he doesn't love us anymore? And he goes, it's a rhetorical question. He goes on to say, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are being killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. That's what it feels like. But he says in verse 37, the answer is no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. All right. Despite it feels hard, despite you are going through hard things in life, in this life, he's like, no, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, this world does not have the final say on us. Now, as Paul says in, in Corinthians, it's just this momentary light affliction that's preparing us an eternal weight of glory. We've been saved from this life. We're, we have eternal life now. And that ultimately has given us victory over everything in this life and everything it throws at us, okay? So the key to being strong in the battles this life throws at us is to let God Fight them for us instead of trying to fight them ourselves, which will leave us feeling weak. Literally, what Paul is telling us in Ephesians 6.10 is to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And then he goes on in the following verses to tell us how to do this. Verse 11, it says, put on. Now, note that's something you have to do that you're required to do. It's an action on your part. Put on the whole armor of God that you may... Or this is the reason you do it, that you may be able to stand 
against the schemes, those would be devious or evil plans against you, the schemes of the devil. That's who our enemy is. For we do not wrestle against flesh or blood. The idea there is other people, okay, who we see, flesh and blood. That's not our enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. And the idea there is speaking of these demonic forces that are part of the devil's army that rule over territories and regions in this world. Against the authorities, those would be speaking of these demonic forces uh, under the devil's rule that that oppress people. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The idea here is that for all the evil you see happening in the world, it's the devil in his army that is behind it. See, sometimes people ask the question, well, if God's so good, why, why, why are there so many bad things? He's not the reason for that. Sin is the reason for that. And sin is influenced by Satan. Okay? And when you go to different places in this world, sometimes you recognize that there is a darkness over this place. It feels heavy. You can just, you sense it. Or there's, you see it visibly and that there's a bunch of oppression of the people there. And this is all, and we don't understand completely how this is, but the Bible tells us enough to know that this is all the enemy's work that does this, all right? And it says in verse 13, therefore, or because we know this, because we know that there's this spiritual battle happening all around us, we are to take up, again, this goes back to verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or the evil day. When that evil comes against you, you can stand against it. You can persevere. You can endure. And having done all, to stand firm. All right? And that's that's a good... Something I want to point out is it's important to note like what it's saying there in to stand firm because here's the thing. That's a defensive position more so than an offensive position because the Bible doesn't necessarily say like, oh, there's Satan, go out and kick his butt. Okay, what the Bible teaches us is Jesus already did kick his butt. Okay, he defeated him on the cross because the biggest thing he had against you was your sin. And now that you've been forgiven of your sin through your faith in Jesus, you he's taken away the the main accusation Satan can bring against you that you were guilty of, but you're not no longer guilty of because it's been paid for by Jesus's blood. All right. And you used to be a slave to your flesh, your, your sinful nature. And Jesus freed you from that. So now the, the enemy has in reality become a, like a, 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 a bully, a powerless bully that all he can do is speak lies to you and try to tick, trick you into believing that he has some sort of power over you that he, you've been freed from by Jesus Christ. Okay, so Jesus doesn't tell us to go out and fight him because he's already been defeated. But what he does tell you to do is stand firm in the victory that he's won you. Okay, and these weapons are meant to be used as in a defensive way because of that victory. Jesus has won you. Okay, as we're going through this, keep that in mind. So our real enemy, it's made known to us here. And and that's important to note, because here's the thing. It's not your spouse sitting next to you. If you guys had a fight on the way to work. It's not your boss. It's not your kids or your parents, young people that are mad at your parents for not letting you play games all day. That might hit home for some of my kids. Um, or your brother and sister in Christ that has wronged you. It's not even Joe Biden, okay? Or anyone else for that matter. If we're fighting against other people, what this is telling us is you're fighting against the wrong person, Okay? The one who we're truly wrestling with, as verse 12 says, is Satan or the devil. And wrestling is a good way to describe it because his schemes against you are meant to take you down and take you out of God's good, pleasing and perfect will for you. OK, that's what he's trying to do. Oh, he may very well be using the people around you in his life, in this life to do his handiwork. But you have to make no mistake, there is one person behind the evil being done. And that's him, along with the rest of the other fallen angels that follow him. 
And they all have different roles, different responsibilities, different authorities within this battle, but all with that same goal of taking us out. Okay? The devil is the reason for the tension in your marriage or the problems with your children or the struggles with your parents or the disrespect you're receiving from your boss or you feel like you're receiving. The devil's behind all that. And if people in your life from time to time sound like the devil, that is because, don't ever tell your spouse that. That's not a good thing. Um, but that is because it's his voice trying to get you to turn against them when he's the real enemy in your life. And the way we are to defend ourselves against the schemes and attacks are to stand firm, as it says in verse 11 and 13, by putting on the whole armor of God. That word whole meaning that God has given you everything you need so that you are able to stand firm against his lies and his attacks. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. That way out involves this armor, which is our protection from the enemy. And God being the one who provides it through you seeking him for his strength and might. Instead of trying to tackle this battle on your own which requires us to participate in utilizing it by putting it on, as verse 11 says, or in faith, choosing to go to God for help instead of trying to just, like I said before, go into these hard things head on and handle them ourselves. Jesus actually has taken the enemy's weapons away from him, as I alluded to earlier, or has rendered them useless against us through the cross. Okay, Paul tells us in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Amen? Amen. Now, of course, again, Satan wants to deceive you into believing that's not the case, that somehow you still are under his authority. You need to listen to him, that you have to give in to sin when you're tempted with it. But as a believer, our victory against the enemy is a done deal because of what Jesus has already done for us. And there's nothing we need to do to win. But we still need to armor up in that victory Jesus has won us so that we can stand firm against the enemy and his lies. And it's critical for us to understand that we're in this war at all times in our lives, okay? Because here's the thing. You better believe that those soldiers, when they stormed the beach in Normandy on D-Day and World War II, did not do it in their jammies, okay? They went into that battle ready and prepared for what they were gonna encounter, okay? And the same thing applies to our spiritual battle in that, we need to understand every day when we get up out of bed what we're going into so that we are ready to face what might come at us, okay? And the degree that you're ready to utilize the armor God has given you will be the degree you're successful in defending yourself against the enemy's attacks. And now Paul proceeds to talk about the specific armor God has made available to us that enables us to stand against or defend ourselves from the enemy. And again, Paul's writing this letter when he's in custody in Rome. So he has these soldiers around him wearing this armor and he's got this visible representation that he's using as a spiritual application. And the way he talks about these pieces of armor are in the order that a soldier would typically put these on, okay? And he starts here in verse 14 by saying, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Truth being what God tells us in his word, according to Jesus in John 17, 17. And it being compared to a belt on a soldier here, which wasn't actually a piece of armor. I mean, it would somewhat protect the midsection, but it was necessary to gather up all of their clothing. Basically, they had to put that belt on before they can even put armor on. And so when a soldier was relaxed, when they were just chilling or eating food, they would undo their belts because they didn't have to be ready for battle. But in order to be ready to 
move efficiently and fight effectively, they would have to put that belt and wrap it around them so that they could have their armor and everything would work the right way. And in much the same way, we have to be securely bound by the truth of God's word or it needs to be what we're utilizing to hold us together before the rest of this armor that we're going to see can even be put on as it's all rooted in God's word. God's word. So if I don't know God's word, I don't even know these principles that God is trying to teach me to stand on that make up the rest of his armor, okay? And how you put on the belt of truth is that you're somebody that's consistently in the word of God. Because if you're consistently in the word of God, then the spirit of God can teach it to you and bring it to remembrance when you need to use it and apply it in your life, all right? So that's the first thing. We gotta be those that are constantly in the word of God and then we will have that belt of truth on ourselves. Paul goes on to say, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness is right living or doing what is right in God's eyes. Now, is that possible to do in your own power? No, it's not, okay? Without Jesus, none of us are perfectly right in God's eyes, as we're all sinners to some degree. But through faith in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and paying for our sins, the just price required for them, we know that we have been made righteous in God's eyes, not by our works or efforts, by, by everything Jesus already did for us on that cross, okay? So because of that, we can confidently know without any doubt, even if we dropped the ball yesterday or today and we messed up, we can know because of our faith in Jesus that we are right with God and that we can come before him confidently for help and that he's not going to reject us and he's not going to turn us away. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need us need it most. Because of Jesus, you can oh, that's your standing with God. You can always expect that. When you need help in a battle, you go to God and he will help you. And just as a breastplate or uh, on a soldier was vital to protect their like most important organs, the fact that our righteousness is secure in Christ and not ourselves is vital to effectively defending ourselves from the enemy's attacks. Because one of the enemy's main attacks is to condemn you or try to condemn you for sin in your life. Or get you to feel like that feeling of, I've blown it somehow with God. I'm not worthy of knowing God because I messed up this thing that I keep struggling with. Those things that God's still working out of you. The enemy wants to go after you and get you to think that somehow because you're dropping the ball, because you're falling short... Because God's still working these things out of you, that somehow you've lost your right standing with God. All right. Condemnation is what that is when we start feeling condemned for our sin in our lives, for the things we've done wrong. And what condemnation usually leads to is you feeling not worthy of God and wanting to separate from God or go away from God, which is exactly where the enemy wants you because he knows that's where you're going to be most vulnerable to be picked off and taken down, okay? But when the enemy tries to condemn me of sin in my life because I know that that righteousness before God is not dependent on me, it's completely dependent on everything Jesus has already done for me, instead of being condemned, I can be convicted. And there's a difference between the two. Condemnation is from the enemy. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And what conviction does is it brings me to God because I realize that I need his help to live in that righteousness. I, I am righteous, but I need his help to practically live that righteousness out in my life. And John talks about this in 1 John 1, 9. He says that in, in putting on that breastplate of righteousness, I can come to God and I can I can confess my sins to him and he will be faithful and just to forgive me of my sins because they've already been paid for and to cleanse me from all wickedness. So basically that putting on that breastplate of righteousness is understanding that I am righteous in Christ and Christ alone. We sang it about it earlier, right? I'm righteous in Christ and Christ alone. So therefore, when I'm guilty of sin, when I'm struggling with sin, I go to God knowing I'm forgiven of it and he's the one that's going to help me live out that righteousness. Amen? Amen. So that's a critical thing, all right? We got to wear that breastplate of righteousness. Paul goes on to say, 
And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, that word readiness, some of your translations might say preparation. The Greek word there means a prepared foundation. Okay, the gospel being compared with shoes a soldier would wear as it provides the foundation or footing for everything we believe in everything we do in in for Jesus in our lives. If a soldier's foot got wounded, that would obviously make them easy prey, right? Because you couldn't move efficiently. You, maybe you couldn't move at all. It'd leave you like a sitting duck for the enemy to pick you off. So shoes were a critical part of being effective in battle and something that had to be worn all the time, just like a belt or a breastplate in order for a soldier to effectively be able to fight. So too with the good news that has saved us, it is the foundation we stand on against the enemy. Because what the gospel tells us is that we're already victorious, is that we're saved, and that we're at peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us, all right? That's why Paul refers to it as the gospel of peace. And so that means everything to us, that that's already done. That's where our salvation is buried in, and, and that gives us confidence against the enemy's lies. Again, because he's going to try to get you to think that you're unsaved or you're unrighteous or, you know, like trying to these lies that are contrary to what God's told us in his word. So we got to stand on that. Okay. And then here's the other thing, just as a soldier's shoes would help them move forward and effectively in the battle, the gospel and being ready to share it, or as first Peter three fifteen tells us, give the reason for the hope you have as a believer that's what allows you to keep moving forward in your walk with the Lord because the one commission God's given you is to take the good news to all ends of the earth, right? As we've told before, that's why we're still here, all right? God's working things out of us, but our main objective, the only objective is to be a witness for Jesus Christ until we go to be with him or he comes back. So we take as many people with us as we can as we share the good news that has saved us with them, amen? So when we know that good news, when we're, I mean, like it's implanted in us, all right? This is the idea this is telling us here. And we're ready to share it. That allows us to effectively be used by God in in the things he has for us in life. Amen? All right? So know the gospel. Be ready to share it. That's how you put on this this um, this third piece of armor, This these, these shoes for your feet, okay? Then it goes on to say, in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up. Now, I want you to note that wording there, take up, because with the previous uh, three sets of of, of armor or, or equipment for a soldier, it uses the wording have. And the idea with that is that you're to always have those things on. You're always to have this belt on. You're always to have this breath, breastplate of righteousness on. You're always to have these shoes of the gospel on the gospel of peace but now it's using the term take up and the idea with that is that these are weapons or defensive weapons or armor that you're to have ready to be used at the right time okay and it goes on to say in all the circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one faith being compared to a shield that protects you from the attacks of the devil. Now, back then, they would have these shields, these Roman soldiers that were almost like full body length in oblong in shape. And what would happen at the beginning of a battle, a lot of their enemies would just litter the battlefield with these flaming arrows, basically an arrow that had pitch at the tip of it and it'd be lit on fire. And it wasn't so much to kill or aimed to kill the soldiers, because a lot of the soldiers would all have shields to protect themselves. But what it was meant to do was to throw everyone in a panic because you'd have all these flaming arrows coming down all around you and bedding themselves in things and setting them on fire around you. Sometimes you'd have them embed in the shield itself and set it on fire. And the hope was you freak everyone out, you scare them to death, you cause them to panic and they drop their shield and they start running and then they're all vulnerable. They're all by themselves and they can be picked off by arrows. That was the idea, okay? 
And in much the same way, the devil has a similar goal in his attacks against us. Satan being called the father of lies in John eight forty four, because deception is his main weapon against you. And what he wants to do is deceive you so that you get fearful and worried and you get in a panic and you start freaking out. OK, not thinking straight. Fear being the opposite of faith because God doesn't want us to be afraid. And the purpose of his word is to give you every bit of assurance and confidence you need so that you aren't afraid. All right. Now, fear is being is having faith in the devil in his lies instead of God in his word. But faith in the truth of God's word doesn't only protect you from the enemy's fiery lies. It also extinguishes them, as verse 16 says. Basically, what God's word does and the truth of it is, is it exposes the lies of the enemy so that you don't even believe them. When you hear those lies and they're contrary to what God has told you in his word, you can shield yourself and extinguish those fiery lies because you can say that's not true. All right. You're guilty of sin. No, I'm not. Jesus paid for that sin and I'm forgiven of it. Oh, your ministry sucks. You're not doing anything for God. Really? God's word says that there isn't anything I do for him and his glory that isn't wasted. That's how we combat those fiery lies, all right? Those negative feelings towards others, those fears and worries, those lustful thoughts that so often pop into our mind, those nightmares you have at night. Those are examples of the flaming darts the enemy is constantly shooting at us. And the protection God has given us against them is the shield of faith that his word offers us, which, again, exposes them for what they are, lies, deceptions, not the truth of his word. And here's the thing. When the Roman soldiers were under attack in a, in, in, in a battle, and some of you guys have seen those movies like Gladiator and stuff, and you've probably seen this, a lot of the times what they would do is they'd form battle lines. And they'd have this front line of soldiers with all their shields and they would lock these shields together arm in arm so there was a solid wall of protection and then the battle line behind them would form a shield like lock their shields together over the top of their heads so that you had this battle line of protection in the front battle line of protection on the top so there's this impenetrable barrier from them being together where nothing could get through to hurt them and I couldn't help but think of how that is how God means us to defend and protect each other as a church family as well. And what you see is those people that are devoted to fellowship, that are really plugged in with other believers, are the ones that handle the battles in life or are able to persevere through them the best. Because where their weaponry or their shield might be failing them, they have their brothers and sisters around them to cover them and protect them when they're not doing it as well as they should be. Amen? And, and just a word on that. Because sometimes this is really important to understand. That when God tells us to have fellowship, to not forsake the gathering of the saints, this is for our benefit. Anytime he tells us something. And this is something that we can, especially as Americans, we, we kind of be independent. It's hard for us to be open with other people and have community and relationships. But this is what God desires, and this is one of the main reasons why, because we're safer together than we are apart, okay? And what you see sometimes is some people, they feel, they look on the outside, and they'll look inside of the church, and they'll, they'll, they'll like, well, they're, they're kind of so close together, it doesn't feel like I really come in. Sometimes you hear the term like clickish and stuff, which really exists in the whole entire world. And I understand what they're saying because the church is supposed to be inclusive, like everyone's welcome, and that's absolutely right. But here's the thing, the reason they're so close, the reason there's like a family connection is because those people are going through the battle together, Okay. And there is a unity that's knit from that, that you can't knit any other way. And you see that in Acts 2. It says that they were, the early church was devoted to fellowship. It says they were gathering together every day in, in the temple, in like a large group setting, and then house to house. They were doing life together all, all day. And it says they were of one mind. There was a unity 
because they were going through life. They were going through these battles. They were there for each other. They knew what hardships each was facing and they bared those together and they rejoiced in the, in the awesome things God was doing. And that just made them a family. And that's exactly what God wants to do in us. But you got to be willing to go in that battle with your brothers and sisters. Amen. It's necessary. That's what keeps us healthy. So we want to put on that shield of faith. Paul going on to say, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet protected the soldier's head, obviously a critical part of your body. You wouldn't want to leave exposed. And here Paul compares the helmet with our salvation. Paul also saying in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, but since we belong to the day or the night in other translations, basically means you're a follower of Jesus. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober or aware, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation or basically our salvation acts as a helmet that gives us hope. Now, the opposite of hope is discouragement, which originates in our head or brain and it's one of the enemy's most effective uh, weapons or tools to get us to disengage from the battle or our walk with the Lord. Those feelings we sometimes get of somehow I'm not I'm not following Jesus as good as I should be or this thing I'm doing for God. It's meaningless, like nothing's happening. You know, this ministry doesn't look the way it should. My walk doesn't look the way it should. You know, my I'm a failure as a mom. I'm a failure as a dad because my kids aren't the way they should. Those are the type of thoughts like the enemy wants to put in our head to discourage us. But our salvation assures us that these are all things that are work in progress that God has started and he's going to complete them. All right. And that's because of our salvation. All right. That 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 our salvation is all inclusive in that if you are saved, if you're placed in Jesus, all his promises are yes and amen. So if he says something that gives us hope. That it will happen or a sure expectation of good because anything God says is good. Okay. So when God says in first Corinthians 15, 58, that nothing you do for him is useless. That's true. When Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Or the idea is don't get tired of following the Lord. Don't become discouraged at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Blessing is happiness. If you don't give up, if you just keep following the Lord, even if it doesn't feel like it right now, there will be blessing in your life. That's a guarantee because of your salvation. Okay, that's why it gives us hope. And therefore, we don't give up. We put on that helmet of hope because the fact is you are saved. You are being saved. God's going to complete that good work he started in you, as he, uh, Paul says in Philippians 1, 6. And then the blessed hope in, in Titus 2.13, is that one day soon, Jesus is coming back for you. Amen? That's the hope that God gives us, and it gives us every reason to expect good things rather than being discouraged. Okay? So we need to put on that, that helmet of hope, that helmet of salvation. And then Paul goes on to say, in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Word of God being compared to a sword here, and, and again, this would seem like an offensive weapon, which it kind of is, but it also is to be used in a defensive way. Because it's important for us to understand, first and foremost, that the word of God is, in fact, the word of God. Okay? Because what that means is it's always right. If somebody disagrees with it, that's fine. They're still wrong. He's still right. Because he's God and he thought everything up and he made us. He gets to say what's right and what's wrong. And that's what gives it its power and authority in your life. Because knowing he's the one that said it means it's always good. It's always right. It's always what I want to follow. If somebody's telling me something contrary to it, if I'm hearing a lie from the enemy, they're wrong. He's right. Okay. And it's called the sword of the spirit because it's according to Jesus in John fourteen twenty six. It's the spirit of God that helps you understand God's word as you're reading it, as you're hearing it taught, as you're studying it, and then teaches you to wield it like a sword and use it to cut through those lies of the enemy, those deceptions, and know what's right and know what's wrong and know what's truth and what's false. It's the spirit of God that leads you in that. 
But just as a Roman soldier would never go into battle unless they had practiced utilizing a sword, because that'd be foolish to go try to fight somebody with a weapon that you never ever practiced with, we can't expect to go into the spiritual battle and, and, and be able to use the sword of the spirit unless we're taking the time to learn it ahead of time. Amen? Because when we're in the word of God, that is what the, when the spirit of God will work through it and teach us it and then bring it to remembrance when we need it in our lives to cut through those lies of the enemy. Amen? And last but not least, Paul tells us how to rely on the Lord's strength and might in the battle we're in. As he says in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I'm going to read you a quote from the Prime Minister of England during World War II, Winston Churchill. During the war, he made this quote. He said, I must drop one word of caution. For next to cowardness and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and laziness is the worst of wartime crimes. And I would say that principle applies very much to successfully and effectively being in the battle that we're in spiritually during our walk with the Lord because it's overconfidence that leads to neglect or laziness in our prayer life. Or in essence, thinking that I can handle things better than God or assuming that I can do things on my own without God's help. See, prayer shows a humble reliance on God. As you understand your need for his help in your life, and the more you understand you're helpless, the more you will pray. And the longer I live following Jesus, the more helpless I realize I am. And as such, my prayer life develops. Or as verse 18 says, we will pray at all times in the spirit. And the idea of praying all the time, it sounds super spiritual, but the, the bottom line is God's spirit is always showing you that you need him. Okay. Because it's drawing you to him to stay close to him. Okay. So it's always leading you to pray. It's always leading you to talk to God. It's always leading you to ask for help. And how you pray doesn't really matter. It's just that you pray. Okay. You can pray by yourself in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. You can pray in the morning during your devotional time. You can pray in the shower or when you're driving. You can pray before a meal. You can pray with your kids before they go to bed. You can pray with other believers in a prayer meeting or at church or when you're meeting with a brother or sister for coffee or a a phone call with somebody. You can pray silently under your breath or in your head. You can pray audibly out loud. You can pray standing up. You can pray sitting in a chair. You can pray face down on the ground or on your knees. The idea is we just need to persistently and consistently be praying because we should be constantly looking to God to help and lead us in our lives as we understand this spiritual battle that we're in at all times. Amen? And prayer is the way we armor up or we look to God to utilize the armor he's given us to defend ourselves so that we can stand firm in his strength and might in the battle that we're in. It's kind of like our prayer is like our our wartime way to call the headquarters to bring in the defenses. All right. That's that's what we're doing. And according to verse 18, it also is what keeps us alert or aware of the enemy's attacks. And it's also what helps us persevere or endure instead of retreating against those attacks. And prayer isn't just an effective weapon for our own lives against spiritual warfare. But according to verse 18, we can make supplication or we can ask and pray on behalf of our brothers and sisters as well. So that we can help them fight the battles they're facing in life. And if you guys are familiar with any, 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 if you, how many of you guys have been in the military before? Probably had a motto, you don't leave anyone behind, right? Because any soldier, any good soldier cares about the soldiers around him, knowing that their health and in, 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 in welfare is going to affect his health and welfare, 
All right. And it's the same as believers. Paul tells us when he's talking about the body of Christ, he's using the analogy of a body in first Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Basically, our welfare affects everyone else's welfare in our in our family or Christian family. And so we want to be praying for others. And Paul actually got this, too. He understood in verse 19 that I need you praying for me. All right. I, I pray to God, but I need you to pray for me. Pray for your pastor because and he shows the right heart. And he's like, it's not about my comfort. I know I'm in jail and all this. I need you to pray that God can effectively use me so I can speak his his gospel with boldness and, and accomplish his will in my life. Amen? All right. So as the worship team comes up here, that's it. But I want to really kind of just allow a time for us to respond to this because here's the thing. This spiritual battle, the longer I follow Jesus, the more aware I become of it. And what I mean by that is I just see the hard things in my life for what they are, is attacks from the enemy that are meant to take me down, to take me out, to discourage me, to condemn me so that I'm not faithful in what the God, God wants me to be doing. And I miss out on the blessings he has for my life. And this week in studying about the spiritual battle, boy, did I have a battle coming at me. There wasn't a single night, maybe one night, Last night, actually, the Lord gave me grace. But there wasn't a single night this week where I didn't have horrible nightmares. And these are about things like weaknesses in me, like the enemy knows that I care about my family and there's certain things that scare me or I'm fearful about my family. And those were the specific things that he was whispering in my ear as I was sleeping. And I was having these horrible nightmares that would keep me up and I, I couldn't go back to sleep. I had to get up. I had to pray. And, and, and I had to rebuke the enemy. And I had to go, I had to go through these, these armors here, just being rooted in the belt of truth, wearing the breastplate of righteousness, putting on the combat boots of the gospel, using the shield of faith against his lies, having the helmet of my salvation to protect my mind, wielding the sword of God's word to cut through those deceptions. And ultimately, as James 4, 7 says, as I resisted the devil, eventually he fled, all right? Because he's defeated, remember? You're not fighting for a victory. You really, Jesus has won it for you. You're just resisting until he gets bored and he moves on, all right? But this is the way we do it. And here's the thing. Prayer, more so than anything else in my life, in my walk with the Lord, has produced the stability that I think we all want. Here's the thing. We don't want to be those like Jesus uses this analogy of how like like um, we can be tossed to and fro. We can kind of be all over the place emotionally and scared and fearful. But that's not what we're supposed to be in Christ. We're supposed to be stable and confident in him, in his promises and in his word. He talks about this in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it'll collapse with a mighty crash. Now, there's some other things that Jesus is trying to teach in that parable having to do with salvation. But I I just think of how, like, the first house we bought when we moved to Astoria, it was like a... The house built in the 1930s. And how many of you guys are aware that a lot of the older houses in this community are not attached to the foundation? You guys know that? They didn't used to do that. They just built it straight on the foundation. And the problem with that is if we ever have a big earthquake, anything that was built like that is just going to fall right off the foundation probably, okay? Building codes nowadays, what they rely is that it has to be firmly attached to the foundation so that doesn't happen, Okay. Now, here's what prayer has done for me. The reason I'm telling you that analogy is that I can know what Jesus says in his word. I can know of his promises to me and whatnot. I can know of the spiritual armor, but it does no good if I can't apply those things when I'm faced with that earthquake or I'm faced with that battle. I'm faced with that storm in my life that, as I've been talking about, we face all the time because the enemy's coming after us. And prayer more so than anything else is what 
tethers us to that foundation. Okay, it's what keeps us close to the Lord so that he can remind us, he can minister to us through his spirit. He can remind us of these truths of his armor, the truths of his word, so that instead of just being tossed all around and freaking out and panicking, which is exactly what the enemy wants to do as he's shooting arrows at you, I'm calm and I'm collective. Doesn't mean it's necessarily easy what I'm going through, but I'm stable in the Lord. I'm strong in the Lord. I'm not, I'm immovable. I'm standing firm in the victory Christ has already won me, using it as a, as a defense against what the enemy is trying to come after me until he relents. Amen? Amen? Prayer is what has gotten me there in my life. And I believe very confidently that is what he's trying to teach us through this month so that we all can experience that blessing that he intends for us in this life of stability and not being afraid and not being fearful, but that confidence and assurance in him in living in it Not just believing in our head, but being able to live it in all the hard things that we face in this life. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing another song of worship, but we're going to have our prayer team around the room. And if that's speaking to you, like if you're somebody that's going through something hard right now, maybe you suffer from anxiety and fear. You don't have that stability. You know that it's very hard to stand firm. You're one of those that's panicking because of something going on in your life or you struggle with that, I'd encourage you come up and get prayer with a brother and sister or talk to God right where you're at right now because that is not his will for you. That's the first thing you have to realize. My wife, she, she struggled with severe anxiety. I think we all struggle with some degree, but she had severe anxiety for a long time and where it would debilitate her. And that God, Jesus, the enemy coming after me is one thing. I think us men are kind of like, oh, bring it, whatever. You know, that's not the best attitude. We want to stand firm in Christ, but we're, we're just like that. But when the enemy goes after our kids and our wives, that's a whole nother thing. That's a hard thing to, 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 to watch and not be angry at and stuff. But I remember talking with her one day about this anxiety. And she said, she said that, um, she said, well, I guess this is just the cross the Lord's given me to deal with because it's not getting better. And I just, I, I corrected her like lovingly, hopefully, but I just said, dude, that is a lie from the enemy because the Lord has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power. And, 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 and don't you believe for a second that this is what God wants you to be fearful. He's given you every reason to be confident in him and what he's done for you and what he's going to do for you. So you don't have to be afraid and you don't have to be fearful. And from that point on, I saw a change as soon as she was humble enough to admit that this battle she was going through was not the hand of the Lord and that the Lord had something better for her. And she started thinking about that rightly and going to God, using that armor to defend herself. And she eventually found the ability or God was able to teach her to, to use that armor to walk in that victory that he's given her to where she doesn't struggle with that anymore. And I pray that's a word of hope for anyone that is struggling it right now. First, that that is not God's will for you. And that he wants to help you learn to live out that victory he's won for you in Christ. Amen? So come up and get prayer if you need prayer. And also just even be praying now like, man, what is it the Lord wants to specifically teach me in this regard this month? With this week of prayer and fasting, you know, what is it I need to learn about this battle and how to successfully armor up and, 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 and defend myself from the enemy and his lies? How to handle these hard things that come my way that the enemy sins and stuff? And ask God, because the thing is, we're always looking to grow and God's the one that's helping us do that. And we don't want to miss out on any of that, those things he's trying to produce in us. Amen. Lord God, thank you so much, Father, for the, the battle you've won. Lord, we want to go back to the cross. We want to remember our salvation, the gospel, the good news. We want to know what it says and we want to believe it, Lord, because everything comes out of what you've already done for us. And all your promises, as your word says, are always yes and amen. You're always going to be faithful to keep them. And so all the good things you have for us, the work you're going to complete in us, the promises you've made that nothing we're doing is, is fruitless if we're doing it for you. 
We want to believe those things. We want to hold on to those things. We want to live our lives in faith of those things without doubt, without discouragement, without fear or worry. These things that we know that the enemy wants us to have that you saved us from. So Lord, we need you to teach us these things, how to live them out. We need you to teach us to pray. We need us to teach you to re- teach us to rely on you to an even greater degree and not try to handle things ourselves or figure them out. We need to live in your strength and might, not ours, because we we're weak. We admit it. But you've given us the ability to exercise your power and we want to come to you and learn how to do that, Lord. So be with us now, minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen.